Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Today we are talking about crowdsourcing. Are we trying to raise money? Paul, that's crowdfunding. Yeah, well, it's a good thing because I wouldn't give us a dime. I wouldn't either. (laughs) No, we're talking about crowdsourcing. Everyone else, don't worry. We're not asking you for any money either. We know better than that. Today we've also got some questions from listeners about what to do with a bad bottle of wine and about using wine apps in a restaurant. Hmm. Our horrible wine writing oscillates with special horribleness today. And as usual, we will make fun of wine snobs. But first, we're talking about the crowdsourcing sites and the apps for reviewing wine and how or if they're useful to anyone. Do they really help people choose a bottle of wine, Paul? Well, does Yelp or TripAdvisor help you choose a restaurant? Then the answer is some of these apps will help you choose a wine. But they have both some of the same strengths and some of the same weaknesses as the Yelp or TripAdvisor. Yeah, I might argue that it's a little worse with wine for for silly reasons, um, which we'll get to in a second. Um, But they can also be a little better, too. Um, And before we get too far, we want to stipulate this, that we think wine is just always more fun when you talk about it. You know, when you're buying wine from somebody or with people. So talking about it makes wine more fun. And I think that's one of the problems with wine apps. If that's your only thing, if that's all you do is look at your app, you kind of lose out on one of the fun parts about wine. Especially if what the app tells you is wine tastes good or wine doesn't taste good. Right, because good is relative. And the or flip personal. side of that, what if the sommelier came over and said, oh, but this wine is made by this really cool guy who used to be a Franciscan monk in Greece, and he left the monastery to marry an Algerian woman who had captivated his heart, and they took the, they took, they swam across the Mediterranean, I'm landed in body in the eastern, uh. southeastern coast of Italy, and they make this little wine together on a little farm. Oh. Who cares what it tastes it, like? You're exactly going to drink right. that wine because it's fun. Yeah. That's true. The app won't tell you that. App probably won't. And we also, but but having said all that, we also realize that not everyone has a wine shop nearby, and that the or vast even a sommelier who knows the story about true. the Franciscan monk in the. I didn't know that story. I can't wait see? to taste that wine. <laughs> <laughs> and we also know the vast vast majority of people buy wine in supermarkets. So. An even vaster majority could use a little help buying wine. Everyone sure. can because you're always going to run, including us, run into wines that you don't know anything about. So oh, I thought you were going to say they run into people who don't know anything about wine, including us. Well, there's that too. <laughs> Actually, lots of people run into us and they just leave. That's right. <laughs> or they try to run into us harder and yes. harder. <laughs> they come back with that shopping cart and they hit us again. Yeah. You know, and your, your supermarket point is a really good point because it, for most supermarkets, there is not a person who is assigned to stand in the wine aisle and help people find the wines right. they're looking for. Right. And that, and that's tough. And, you know, and I, I'm sure, like like us, a lot of folks have been there where there's the person stocking the, the, the wines and they go, can I help you? And sometimes they can, but most often they're just the person stocking the shelf. Right. And so they're, they're trying to right. be nice, but they, but they can't add. They may not have the skills they need to help right. you. So I think one of the one of my critiques of these apps is that unlike Yelp, I mean, for one with Yelp, you can if it's a restaurant that's been open a while or someplace, you can sort of easily see that there's a lot been a lot of numbers and the the law of averages sort of evens things out. Well, that's the theory. 
and yeah, that's the theory. I mean, I'm not completely sold on that theory, but okay. Yeah, well, I've, I've, it's, it's, it's probably why I eat at a lot of bad restaurants. But <laughs> no, when I travel, go someplace, I, I do that. I, I, I mean, one thing I look for, one thing I like about TripAdvisor, uh, particularly with hotels, is you can read a review, and one review will say six stars, absolutely great, had a wonderful time. Yeah. There was a party at the pool every night. The action doesn't stop, and I'm thinking. I'm leaving at five in the morning to catch an airplane. I want a good night's sleep. This is the last hotel I want to sleep in. True, true, and that—that's where the the review does come in. That's very helpful. However, as we both know, because you've brought one in, Paul. Yeah, the, I did this. The actual reviews sometimes maybe no help. Why don't you read these? So here I'm going to read you a couple of reviews, Rick. Um, and and it's the same wine. Bear in mind, right? One of them says, deep, dark cherry and blackberry with rich loam, flint, and dark chocolate notes, smooth, medium-bodied, nice balance, and a long, succulent finish. Mm, I'm, 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 I want to taste that one. Same wine. Okay. Another reviewer on the same app I'm says, a little diluted and weedy. <laughs> yep. Well, now I'm, now I'm, so now which, I'm torn. Who are you going to believe? Right. Well, and this is this is of course the big problem. It's it's as we will show just a little further in the show. The, that's a horrible problem with critics, professionals, people who do this for a living. But when you get to the uh, you know, brings, to, an, brings to mind brings to mind a great line by the old um, songwriter and mathematician Tom Lehrer, who used to say that the problem with most folk music is that it's written by the people. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid people. <laughs> well, and so, but that is the problem. And it's, so it becomes more difficult to, to do the things that you can do. Um, you know, we have been in the past and will be again in the future critical of the lack of journalism in wine magazines and right. among wine writers and professional wine bloggers because they don't have any – they don't have any background in how to do things completely or fully or fairly or all those sorts of things. Right. This is worse because these are often just folks that – like maybe this first person wanted to show what a great descriptor that he was, he well, or she maybe, was. Well, maybe, but you know, there is, there, there is some uh, – some of these apps actually allow you to choose which one of these people you'll believe. So, for example, if this were – if the two reviews I read to you came from that uh, – one of these apps that allows you to choose whom you believe, go out and buy that wine. Taste the wine. If you find that it's a little diluted and weedy, then it sounds like maybe you should start reading person the reviews yeah. by this person B and forget person the, the, A, who the, clearly has a different view of reality so than per, you do. So person B wasn't Which just is, mean and angry. Person B was well, it, accurate. It yeah. turns out that it's doing exactly what we suggest people do, whether they go to a wine shop or whether they read someone who writes about wine all the time. Find someone whose tastes seem to correlate with yours and then you get a little extra information. I completely agree. And, you know, uh, this it's kind of one of the bits of advice that I always give people when they ask me what wine to get, which is, it depends. Do you like the same? Here's a wine that I like. Do you, did you like this? Right. And then if they like it, I say, well, get that one then. And then, no, I, then here's a couple yeah, others. No, but then they say, you say, did, here's a wine I like. And they look at you and they said, you like that wine? Well, more than once, yeah. And, and I then say, I say, don't judge. <laughs> That's what I say. I say, don't judge. Don't well, be a hater. Yeah, I think the other the other <laughs> caution on the on the on the websites is, <clears throat> and always be a little care. And it's probably true of real critics too, but always be a little cautious with the really hateful or really loving um, uh, yeah. critique. There's generally something else at work. 
Yeah. And so yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Too much enthusiasm or too much. It's wine. You know, if it's good, it's fine. If it's not good, it doesn't taste good. But the person who can hardly wait to draft the 150-word description right. of the wine they hate, right. that person has other issues. That person was having a fight with their spouse or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they just wants to be angry. But, you know, I do like this notion. I want to just spend a second on this about sort of calibrating with a critic, whether it's a professional or a or – a, the nice thing about these sites, as you said, is that you can sometimes find particular people that you can then follow. Right. And um, it tr- it is absolutely right. Try a couple different wines that they like. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the heck? You know, you're, you're getting advice and you're going to drink wine anyway. So get a, you know, get a white, get a big red, get a light something, whatever. And if you like all three of them, you're golden. And if right. you actually dislike all three of them, now you know something too. Do right. the opposite. On the other hand. I'm going to put out a, a slight call for the other way of exploring wine, which is to walk into a wine shop. And my, this, drives, this drives my wife nuts, by the way. But I love doing this, particularly when we're in Europe. I walk into a wine shop. I pick a nice, easy number, like five euros, which maybe translates in the States to about a 15 to $20 bottle of wine. Given five the, euros? Oh, yeah, you, given the exchange the, rate. The exchange rate yeah. has changed, Paul. Well, no, no. It's now not it's the about seven rate. bucks. If you, if you buy a wine in Europe for oh, five oh, euros, oh, because of all the, right, absolutely it'll right. cost 20 bucks by the time right, you get. Right. So I go in and I buy 10 different bottles at five euros a piece. And I don't care if I like half of them. I just so, want to see what they're like. Yeah. To me, it's just fun. What <clears> the heck? And it drives my wife just a little crazy that we do that. But what the heck? Part of the fun of wine is trying something and thinking it's a little bit like going to a concert by a musician you've never heard of before in your life. There's a concert down at the hall tonight. I'm going to go listen no matter who. Could be bluegrass. Could be Koto music from Japan. Don't know. Just going to go see. I, uh, you know, I hate to say this, Paul. I agree with you completely. You know, um, <laughs> one of the one of the things that I think a lot of regular folk <clears throat> have with wine is a bit of a fear that they're going to get taken. Right. <clears throat> you know, but when well, you're they're spending, listening to our show, well, Rick, they so should be suspicious. <laughs> well, that is that's a very solid point there too. There you go. Look at you. You're on a roll. But, uh, <laughs> the, you know, and so there's this fear of buying a wine they might not like when they're in a shop or something. You know, right. it's different if you're having a party and you're getting one bottle. Well, but but in f- that's actual a great fact, way to There's experiment. a secondary fear in that process, which is not just that you're going to buy a wine you might not like. I don't think people care so much about that. I think they're a little worried about buying a wine in the shop and then having someone in the shop think less of them for having picked out that wine. Well, that's that's that is a constant fear too. <clears throat> that's why you ask them for for advice, is what I'm saying. No, and then you end up buying what they like instead of what you well, like. That's true too. So you should ask them what other. Ask them. Tell I them think, I like this. Well, okay. We walk to, up to the cash register, and as they start to ring it up, <laughs> turn to them and say, "Look, what's that over there?" Just when they're scanning the label, they won't see what you're ordering, and then you can buy what you want. Well, this this gets back to my age old advice, which is when you find wine, you find wines you like, take pictures of them. Right. When you find wines you don't like, turn your phone sideways and take pictures of them. Yeah. Show a couple of those to the person in the wine aisle and say, I want some like these and some not like these. Mm-hmm. So these are the wines I don't like. These are the wines I do. And that person then can actually help you. Maybe. But yes. You, you, At least you've given them information. Unlike us. Well, all right. And speaking of not giving you information, it's time for us to take a few questions. It's time to give somebody else some non-information. We're going to mangle a few others. So, Good. And by a reminder, if you are not on our website listening to this, you can go to our website and ask us a question, which is rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And if mm-hmm. you're not listening to us on iTunes, you can also subscribe for free there and many other places with just a little bitty click. 
All right, our first question is an interesting one, and it comes from this is a guy I know is in the business. Uh, he's in the wine business, has been for a while, is sort of getting out of it. Mm-hmm. But he asks this. <clears throat> what do you think the protocol should be? His name is Kurt Burris, by the way, from in Sacramento. Mm. What do you think the protocol should be for wineries when dealing with corked wine that has been cellared for a bit? So a couple of years. You know, he's okay. saving, saving wine. Okay. This is winery name removed so we don't get sued. Say they assume one bottle in every case will be corked. Wow. So the first one is on me. Second one they'll replace. Another winery name removed so we don't get sued. We'll only replace it if I have a receipt to prove I bought it at the winery. Another one offered me a 50% discount on a current vintage. On the other hand, three winery names removed, although we could probably say those, all replace the wines and sight unseen with a current release. So what Kurt asks is, what sh- what does he think they should do? And that's not the easiest answer, is it? Well, there are a couple of things going on here. First of all, people understand a corked wine means a wine that had a cork in which the, there was some mold on the cork, and now the wine tastes a little bit like that moldy cork, which is not a pleasant flavor. It doesn't happen very often. The most recent information I've seen is 1% to 2% of wines have this problem it used to be worse though and so if you yeah but if a you're winery with that, older wine but a winery but, yeah. that says they're assuming that one, one bottle of every case is bad and you're on your I don't own think because you should of be that, buying their wine you should not be buying their <laughs> they wine got their own problems well, right. and, and they need someone needs to give them a, a, a basic class on laboratory analysis <laughs> um, having said that the real question is almost any retailer almost any restaurateur if you get a wine that smells bad because of the cork, they will refund your money or they'll replace it with an equivalent bottle. Right. No questions asked. Right. And the reason they do that is because they turn around and they do the same thing to the supplier. They go to the winery and say, customer tasted this wine. It's clearly corked. Here you go. You're on your own. Thank you very much. Give me my money back. So, right. And the winery replaces that without any questions. Right. And, and by the way, if you bought this bottle of wine somewhere, <clears throat> don't pour it out. No, save the wine because save people it. like so, to smell it. Well, and it, now, it I'm proves tell your story. True story. And I'm going to give a shout out to a wine shop that did this. I was buying wine once for one of the classes I teach at the college, and I bought a $1,000 more or less bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild from this wine shop. Wow, look at you. And this bottle was... 18 years old, which is one of the reasons it was expensive. The other reason was it was Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. And I poured it. I started the bottle in the class, and the first student tasted it, and the second student tasted it, and the second student said, this wine is corked. This has a bad cork. And I said, quick, stop. Pour the wine back in the bottle. We put the cork back in the bottle, and I called the shop the next day, and they said, no questions asked. We are going to send you a shipper. Inside the shipper is a new bottle of Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. Take the old bottle, put it in the package, ship it back to us. <clears throat> We're good. Right. Right. Well, now, for that is yeah. a class operation. Exactly now, right. Now, the question that Kurt is asking is a little more complicated because I bought that wine six weeks before I right, returned from it. the shop. Now, we, what happens if you it. buy the wine and you – and for I did this. My I opened a bottle for the 25th anniversary of my marriage. And it was a bottle of 1978, so it was 24 years old, uh, from Bordeaux. And we opened it up, and it had a bad cork. And I couldn't take it. The shop that had sold it to me was out of business. And years later, I ran into the owner of the chateau, and I said, you know, can I tell you a story? (laughs) 
And yeah. she listened to that story and she said, you know, that's a really interesting story. I'm really sorry. No, I'm not going to give you a new bottle of wine. Yeah, and that's a tough one. And that's the, that is the problem. That's what sort of what Kurt is asking too is, you know, when it's been cellared a while, as he says. How long do you, but how long do you hold it? If it's a, here's my. If it's a wine that's meant to be held a long time, then you, then the grace period should be longer. Yeah, but my, I think my position is if it's a current release or maybe one year beyond current release, there is no excuse for the winery not replacing it. Yeah, yeah. After that, eh, then it starts getting into a hazy area. Well, what's interesting too is one winery wanted a receipt to know that they bought it from the winery. It's still their wine. And and that's right. And the winery put the cork in it. Right. And if the cork affected the wine, what is the winery going to do? Blame the retail shop for not noticing that? That's that's. As in the words of our friends, click and clack, the Tappet Brothers, bogus. It is bogus um, and yeah. even worse is the winery that says we expect one bottle out of every case to be bad, in which case I would say then I would like a, an, a, a 10% discount on the case in addition to any case discount just because one of the bottles in here is lousy anyway. So, you know, for, for someone like Kurt who likes good wine and he likes, and he likes to let it age, <clears throat> my suggestion, Kurt, would actually be do business with those three wineries that we're happy to no take kidding. it back. You know, do business. Yep. It's like anything else. You know, do business with the people that you know will treat you well. We do that with restaurants for sure. Even though there's yes. a restaurant down the street where the food is good, but the service is terrible. Well, this is the same case. I say yep. go. I go with the good service. Yep. All right. Good. We got a bunch more questions. Well, a couple oh, more good. questions coming later. But uh, in the moment, we are moving along. You are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Yep, it is time. It is that time, the happy time, sad time, really horrible wine writing time. I can hardly wait. Uh, I know you can't. Well, so we're going to go with you first. Would you bring Yeah, I have a wonderful thing here because this is someone who is a, a description written by the people in a new appellation in France. It's a brand new appellation, and they're trying to get people to be interested in their wines. And here is the description. These are in the new Cairan appellation of the Rhone, you have all these flavor profiles that define the Grenache. Smoked pea, dark pea, spices, and ripe raspberry. Rick, I don't believe I've ever had smoked pea or dark pea. Now, I assume they're talking about the legume the way they're spelling it. It's uh, P-E-A. We're, we're doing that. We're staying there. Don't, don't go right. ahead. Right. But smoked pea and dark pea. Dark pea. I don't know what dark pea is. Spices. What spices? Spices. Well, That's those a, are the spices you would put in dark pea okay, if you were cooking okay. dark and, peas. And then out of nowhere, ripe raspberry. Um, y- yeah. And, and that is the classic descriptor of Grenache, by the way, is smoked, smoked pea, pea and, and dark pea. Yeah, I've actually never seen either one of those used with Grenache before. But, hey, spices, there are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know. So aye, aye, aye. the new Appalachian might have some issues. <laughs> <laughs> before they worry about the winemaking, they better go get a new copywriter. Uh, so you've got one that goes on forever and a day. Uh, yes, it oscillates. Um, <laughs> this Zivendel spends 10 months in usual. You know, this is the kind of thing that we always hate where the, wine, the, the critique of the wine is 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 also the wine's history because they think they're telling a story but they're just telling you technical stuff but right. in any case the Zimmendel spends 10 months in neutral French oak barrels grapes come from bush trained vines on average 50 years old and dry farmed oscillates between medium ruby and garnet that's the color <laughs> by the way <laughs> the nose is chock full of concentrated Wait, plum and black cherry can i ask a question 
Do you have to put on special glasses so to see, see the it. oscillation I think that must color? Be, yeah, okay. the colors going back and forth. The nose uh, was chock full of what? Uh, plum, black cherry, some black pepper, and bacon. Mm. On the palate, do not expect. I like this. Do not expect the caricatural type of Zinfandel California has gotten us used to. What you have here is a very drinkable Zin with no apparent sweetness. Blueberry and blackberry accompany light notes of black pepper and dried meat. A Zin I wish was made like more, this by more people. Okay, never mind that that last sentence is gibberish. Um, <laughs> first off, the guy misuses the word. What he meant was, was typical of. Not caricatural. Because caricatural actually, uh, I thought it was not a word at all, but what it means is like a caricature. Right. So it means cartoonish. Right. Although he may be arguing that most Zinfandel is cartoonish. That's well, a legitimate point. But if he's saying this is not like other Zins, then and he did was use a bunch of Zin descriptors right there. Well, but then if, if it is, if the wine is a cartoon of caricatural Zin, then then maybe you need those special glasses to see it oscillate. Plus, this is, yes, to see the color oscillate. Well, this is another geeky wine person question, but is if the French, if the oak barrels are neutral, meaning they have no flavor, right. why do I care that they're French? Because they still speak that language. Oh, I see. Well, that's important. Yeah. It's important that your barrels are, are bilingual. Are bilingual. Yes. yes. Well, they're not bilingual. They only bi speak French. They only speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, then they're snobs. But yeah, they don't, if, they they were, if they were truly neutral, Paul, they would be Swiss barrels. if they come to this country barrels. and work in a winery, they should learn the language. That's, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Okay. I think it's time to take a couple more questions while we got a chance. And a reminder, if you're not on our website, rickandpaulwine.com is the place to ask us one. All right. This one is down the lines of what Kurt had asked. Uh, this is from Megan in Mountain View. Uh -huh. She says, we got a wine in a restaurant the other night that my husband and I, this is a little bit what you were talking about too, that my husband, husband and I both thought was corked. We weren't, we're not professionals or anything, but we both thought that there was something wrong with it. The sommelier argued with us. Excellent. He said that's how it was supposed to taste. It was a Pinot Noir from Name Removed so we don't get sued down near Santa Barbara. We had been there, and it wasn't anything like what we tasted. He suggested something else, but wouldn't take it back. What should we have done? Um, ask to speak to the manager. And if the manager took the same approach, then I would have asked to have them make a reservation for me at a different restaurant. <laughs> yes. That's a good thing to say to the manager. By the way, sir, well, thank you very much. I, I'm, can I just ask one more favor? <laughs> would could... you call the Giappettos <laughs> down the street and tell them I'm coming over? <laughs> I like that. I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this guy clearly never took the introduction sommelier class because one of the things they tell you in the introduction sommelier class is you serve a wine to a customer and the customer says, I think the wine tastes really off. And your correct response is either, if you'd like, I'll get you a new bottle or I will replace it with something else. And the worst that happens is you take that bottle over to the bar and you sell it by the glass right. and you right. still get your money out of the right. bottle. So Never, you're not they should, losing right. anything. Unless, of course, the wine really is corked, in which case you Send return it, it to the winery and they refund the price anyway. So the restaurant has nothing to lose here. Right. And yet they're still being jerks about it. Right. I, I completely, completely agree. And there's, there have been cases, um, you know, I have a long, boring story that I won't tell about this, but not there's so long a ago where – that I'm not telling it or that's long <laughs> that's and boring? Right. Both. Yeah, both of them. Good point. Uh, no, the not telling it is actually uh, it's the benefit to our listeners. So we're moving in the right direction. Uh, yeah. Someday I'll have a good story. Um, in any case, uh, you know, you see, I've seen many places where I could kind of see that they didn't think I was right, but they took it anyway. Right. I loved them. I loved right. them for it. Yeah. You know, and I, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. actually and then wanted to buy a more expensive yeah. bottle of wine, but 
being too cheap, I didn't. Um, but yeah. in any case, so that's, you know, there isn't much you can do other than take it up the chain and, yeah. um, or leave, you know, but you yeah, know, that's, but that's really the, the best step. The best step is to ask to talk to the manager yes. at that point. The other thing too, is <clears throat> since we were, and um, meanwhile, the sommelier needs to understand that the fact that you've asked for the manager means that he's now yeah. really done yeah. a bad job. And, and since we're speaking of crowdsourcing, um, if nobody responds well, just yelp the heck out of them. Yelp the heck out of them. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I've had the situation where a very young and inexperienced waitress brought me a bottle, of, uh, actually a glass of wine that was absolutely corked. And I said to her, this wine is corked. And she looked at me and it was quite clear that she had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, cork was bad. It affected the flavor. Take it back and get a glass of the same wine from a different bottle, and you'll see what I mean. She still didn't know what I meant, but she went back and talked to the bartender who argued with her a little bit, opened the other bottle. They smelled the two glasses, and the bartender started nodding, and pretty soon she came over with a new glass of yeah. wine. And I told her, I want you to take this glass, and I want you to take the other yeah. one and go back and smell them so you know what I'm talking and, about. And, and basically tell everybody else in the restaurant, which is uh, – I've, I've done that in the yeah. past and drove yeah. driven my wife moment. crazy. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. yeah, your and, wife just wants a quiet dinner. Yeah, and, wish, and with somebody else. But that's Good luck story. with that. Right. One last quick one here is from Hector Rivera in Oakland. He says, I see a lot of corks with different lengths. Does it matter? Are the little ones just a cost thing? Yes. Yep. It's that simple. Yeah, it does matter if you're going to age the wine for 20 years. A longer cork will, in fact, hold up. Actually, it's not that it'll hold up better. It's that if there are flaws in the cork, they won't be fatal. Um, but it's mainly a cost factor. And the cork. And by fatal, you, of course, mean to the wine, not to, to the, the wine. Yes. Right. But just, the, we just the, want to be clear. <laughs> the price difference can be huge. Uh, a very short little cork that you sometimes see in some of those inexpensive uh, German wines, for example, may only cost a nickel. And the wines that you pull out of these classified growth chateaus from Bordeaux or Napa Valley Cabernet can cost a buck. Yeah, they can actually. You can get a cork as expensive as four dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, generally, it means that the wine costs more. That's really kind of what it comes down to. But yep. uh, but by and large, it is not an issue. All right, time well, for wanna, us. I just want to draw your attention to the fact that we had a question that we answered directly and moved on. Yeah. And that's why it's time to put a cork in it for us. <laughs> that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer today was Jeff Shepard. Thank, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Our producer is Matt Bassini. And thank you to Napa Valley Broadcasting for the studio use. And a reminder, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com. That is our website if you're not already there. And ask us a question, and we will bungle it, as you've already heard. <laughs> and Or go to iTunes and find us there. Subscribe for free. If you learn anything today, we hope it's this, that human interaction is still better than your phone. In general, for now. <laughs> I'm Rick Kishman. I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines you drink are with friends. Or with especially us. Especially with us.